Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Daniel. I'm the discipleship minister here at LeClaire. So glad that you're joining with us today. Uh, now, there are, are some places that you just don't go. Now, I have got a five-year-old son, and a few weeks ago, he's known for just kind of having a knack for destroying things. And a few weeks ago, he had done quite a number on his dresser. I mean, it was to the point where the drawers weren't coming out anymore. They were all getting stuck, and, and the bottoms of them were starting to fall out. It was so bad that my wife came to me and said, we, we got to get a new dresser for Canaan. And she said, but it's okay, because I, I found one. And then she said a four-letter word that made me die inside. She said, it's at Ikea. Now, I... I've lived in this area now for about a year and a half, and, and, and so far I, I had avoided this day, but I knew at some point it was coming. At some point, we were going to have to be making a trip to Ikea. Now, if you know anything about Ikea, it's not like other furniture stores where you can just go in and say, show me to the dressers. I mean, that would be way, way too easy. No, at Ikea, you have to walk in and they force you to walk through this labyrinth of all these showrooms. Uh, living rooms and kitchens and bathrooms. Amen. Amen. Yes, yes. And, you, you know, from the outside, you would think, I mean, it's, it's a huge building. But when you're inside, it's like 10 times bigger when you're walking through this just endless maze of showrooms. And it's bad enough to just go through that with your spouse. But the idea of taking three small kids with us, I had to do some mental preparation for the day. Because it's like a big playroom for them. And it's instead of Pretend furniture, it's all very real furniture, and it's all very real expensive furniture. So I remember driving there, and I really did have this mental image of this scene in a movie, and, and I don't recommend you see this movie. It's a dumb movie that came out on Netflix a few years ago called Bird Box. Has anyone seen that movie? If not, don't go see it. It's, don't go see it. But at the end, Sandra Bullock has to navigate this like winding river uh, with these two small kids while blindfolded. They're not allowed to see anything. And in my mind, I thought, man, maybe I could just blindfold my whole family, just throw them in the cart and try to navigate through where we needed to go. Uh, but that wasn't quite socially acceptable. But uh, we, we made it there, and, and we made it to the end of our trip. And again, there were plenty of tears. There were plenty of fights. There were plenty of don't touch that. And, and as is the case with most of our shopping trips, one of us had to take the kids out for an early exit while the other stayed to check out. That's pretty normal. But we survived. Needless to say, though, I think we at least have another year and a half before we have to return to Ikea. There's some places that you just don't go. Now, in Jesus' ministry, he did a lot of traveling, and he went to a lot of different places. He was a, a pretty uh, regular itinerant min minister. He would go and he would travel from town to town. He would speak in their synagogues and, and talk about the Old Testament and try to connect the dots between, you know, what the people knew about the Old Testament and who he was. And there were lots of different places. But even then, there were some places that you really weren't supposed to go. That for a Jewish rabbi would have been off limits. And today, well, I want to look at one of those very locations that Jesus travels that everyone else would have been pretty critical of his decision to go and be. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 in just a moment. Uh, that's where our story is. It's here that Jesus makes an abrupt detour in his ministry. 
Now, Mark regularly skimps on the details of what's going on in Jesus' ministry, and so we have to kind of use our imaginations as to what the disciples would have been thinking as Jesus leads them to this very off-limits place. Now, this last month, we have been a series called Breakthrough, and we've been talking about these moments in Jesus' ministry where he encounters various people, and because of their encounter with him, their life completely changes. We've looked at several different examples, and we've talked about that, you know, we see that in Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, and and people have been experiencing breakthroughs throughout all of history as they come to know who Jesus is, and then their life completely changes. And we've kind of posed the question to you, has there been a, a point in your life where you have experienced a breakthrough? For you, it may have been that very first moment where you realized who Jesus was, realized what he did for you, and and now you know that your life is completely different. Now, we've looked at all these different encounters. We've seen that there are some uh, patterns that we can see, but yet we also know that God is sovereign, that he is able to do whatever he wants with whomever he wants and however he wants. But there's also some some things that we can see in in the attitudes and the actions of these individuals that help them experience these breakthroughs. We talked about how important it is to position yourself in a place to experience a breakthrough, to surround yourselves with things like like getting a steady diet of the Word of God. We believe this is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us today, and if we're continuing to allow those words into our lives, into our our minds, into our hearts, then we are filled with this godly wisdom to help us tackle some of the issues, some of the challenges that life throws at us. We also talk about sometimes uh, just positioning yourself, maybe uh, making sure you're engaged each and every Sunday here at church, maybe watching online so that you're getting that steady diet of of teaching, or maybe getting involved in in community and knowing that there are people in your life that are going to keep you accountable in your journey of faith. We also saw that having a heart of gratitude can be really helpful in having a breakthrough, recognizing the things that God does for you and acknowledging that. And last week we saw that breakthroughs can often happen in our times of brokenness. When we realize the depths of our sin and we come humbly before God. And today, similar to last week, we see that breakthroughs can happen in our darkest moments. That Jesus goes to the darkest places to free us from our greatest strongholds. I think if you could summarize this story in one sentence, that's what it would be. That Jesus goes to the darkest places to free us from our greatest strongholds. So let's go ahead and jump into our text today. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 1. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, as I said before, Jesus did a lot of traveling. And he traveled to all of these towns that were situated along this lake that we're talking about. It's the Sea of Galilee, but it's not very big. It's more like a lake. It's about nine miles by 13 miles. And and Jesus would go from town to town. There were several fishing towns, and um, he would travel all around. But what you might not know is that there were two very different groups of people that shared this lake. That on the western side was this region called Galilee, You probably hear that term a little more often. This is where Jesus started his ministry. The town that he was from, Nazareth, is in Galilee. And these were the towns that we see him travel to. But this is a very Jewish area. 
These people would know who God was. They would be familiar with the customs of of Judaism. And and Jesus primarily was helping them, like I said, connect the dots. He was uh, reminding them and preaching this message of repentance and, and letting them know that this kingdom of God was near. Now, they didn't quite know what that was going to look like and what exactly Jesus meant when he said that, but he spent a lot of time with this group of people. On the eastern side of the lake was this region called the Decapolis. These people were not Jews. They were primarily Greeks. And what you may not know is this region used to be owned by the Jewish people centuries beforehand. When God had brought them into this new land, this was part of the land that they used to live in. And so you can imagine that they probably didn't care too much for these Greeks. And somewhere between the Old Testament and New Testament, this Greek empire had expanded under, if you remember from history, Alexander the Great. And so it kind of left in this area some pockets of different groups of people. And to the Jews, the Greeks would have been a threat to their way of life. They did things differently. They, did different, they had different customs. They ate different food. But worst of all, they didn't worship the same God. And so if avoiding them was possible, then they would do so by any means necessary. And up to this point, Jesus has stayed in Galilee until now. He goes to a place that most people would say he has no business going to. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was able, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." Now, I try to envision the disciples in this moment. They're in this boat, and, and it, it, I, I just don't know what they would have been thinking. I mean, if, if they had any thoughts of, you know, Jesus, we shouldn't be going to this area, all of those would have been confirmed by what they see when they arrive. Mark tells us that they're approached by this man with an impure spirit, and he comes from the tombs. So not only are they in a region that Jews were really not supposed to frequent, but they're hanging out with a guy that lives among the dead. This is not the sunny day by the lake kind of picture. This is the let's get together and huddle together or let's just hightail it out of here kind of place. Now, this idea of demon possession is kind of sometimes lost on us. We don't see encounters of this in our everyday life outside of maybe what We see, uh, you know, in Hollywood and in movies and on TV. But it's important to realize and to recognize that the spiritual realm is very real. And to take it too lightly or to ignore altogether can be just as detrimental as those that obsess over it. Recently, we uh, here at LeClaire, we have a podcast that we release every week called the Prove It Podcast. We've been going through the book of Mark. We actually covered this chapter a few weeks ago, and we talk a little bit more about demon possession. So if you're interested in knowing more, I direct you to, uh, to check that out. But for our purposes today, those who were demon-possessed often had similar characteristics. It, it wasn't uncommon then for them to have supernatural strength. 
And in Luke's account of this story, we even see that there are moments where this demon seizes this man, and that's when he demonstrates these, this, this strength, that he's able to break chains that no human could typically break. They would exhibit erratic behavior. Uh, the demons would, within would try to find ways to torture and destroy and torment the life of the individual that they were indwelling. So it's no reason that, that, that people are, are terrified of this man. These demons are co-workers of our greatest enemy, the devil, who we know his work is to steal and kill and destroy. And so often he does that in very covert ways, but this would have been a very overt example of what he came to do. But reading between the lines, we see another story here. We see a story of broken humanity. I mean, here's this man that because of his affliction, and we don't know how he got into this place in the first place, Mark doesn't tell us why, but he had been com completely abandoned by his community. I mean, we see this picture that clearly they were so unable to solve the problem that they go as far as to chain him up in a graveyard. Basically saying, we don't know what to do anymore. You are as good as dead. Your problems are far too great for us. And we just, it would be to be better if we just didn't even know that you exist, if you could just totally be gone. And maybe there were people that got as far as to think is maybe if we just leave him out there, maybe he would just die. And then we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But every night, as they heard the shrieks and the screams in the distance, they would remember who was out there. In fact, the language that Mark uses in verse 3 is the very same verbiage of one that would use to describe subduing a wild animal. This man had lost all dignity. He had lost all humanity. He had lost any worth in the eyes of the world. And while he may have had the strength to break these chains, he lacked the strength to break free of his condition. This spiritual oppression left him alone, no one to love, no one to love him. This was a hopeless place both for this man and the community that he was a part of. And as so often the case, the work of evil, the work of sin, and the powers of this world will always lead to this end, to brokenness, to division, to isolation, and to hopelessness. Now, you may have never encountered a demon-possessed individual before. But I wonder if there have not been those people that you have seen. Maybe you have one of them in your own family or in your circle of friends, or maybe just you've driven by individuals and you've thought, man, their problems are just so big. What on earth could anybody do to help them? They're far too gone. This is one of the reasons why I love this story is because Jesus' actions show the opposite of that thinking. It defies that thinking. And here we see that Jesus goes out of his way to the dark places so that we could potentially experience a breakthrough when it's clear that no one else thought this was possible. Now, I don't know for sure why Jesus was, was here 
But I like to think that he was here specifically for this man. And we don't see him do anything else when he's in this region. He doesn't go and teach anywhere. He doesn't talk to anybody else. And so I just like to imagine that while he's carrying out his ministry in the back of his mind, he knows that there's this guy out there that the rest of the world has completely abandoned. And he stops everything that he does. He grabs his disciples and he goes to this man's aid because there is no one else in a more hopeless situation than this guy. He goes where no one else does. And I believe that he does the very same for us. That in our darkest moments, when we feel that all is lost, or when we feel that nobody else is on our side or sees things our way, that Jesus comes to our side and he goes out of his way for us. Perhaps you've been in one of those places recently. Or maybe you're in that spot right now. Maybe it took a lot for you just to get up and to be here today or even to just watch online today. Maybe you're stuck in a role or in a job or in a place that you just hate. Or maybe there are problems that your family is facing, but you just feel trapped and you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe you've promised yourself for the hundredth time, this is my last drink. Or maybe this is the last time that I rely on food to comfort me. Or the last time that I look at pornography or whatever it is that may be having mastery over your life. Maybe you're so tired of how you treat people, but you just can't seem to stop. Or maybe you're tired of lying to yourself or lying to others. Or maybe just the anxiety of this world, the uncertainty that surrounds us keeps you confined with a sense of fear that you don't, can't find the strength or the courage to break free of. I want you to see here that in our darkest moments, Jesus goes out of his way for us to experience a breakthrough. Contrary to what we may feel in those times, he shows up when we hit rock bottom. And if Jesus can go out of his way for this guy, surely he has not forgotten you. Let's keep going. Verse six, when Jesus, or when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of this area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off. They reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw this man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, for us to experience a breakthrough, Jesus often comes whenever we are at the very end of our rope. But not only that, he does indeed have the power to help us overcome. Jesus' power is enough to provide a breakthrough when our struggles feel hopeless. There is no obstacle, there is no sin struggle, there is no tragedy that you face that faith in Christ cannot restore hope, bring healing and restoration. 
And this is exactly what I think Mark wants us to see in this story, and, and, and actually several stories that are all back-to-back about all this power that Jesus has. I mean, right before this, we see that Jesus calms the storm. He has power over nature. He has power over demons. And later on in the chapter, he's got power over disease and ultimately power over death. That this God who comes to our, our aid is also so incredibly powerful. And we see that played out so well in the story of this man. See, he wasn't just oppressed by one demon, but a legion of them. Now, a legion was a term that, uh, you know, was a a military term that often signified about 6,000 troops. I mean, no wonder this community was powerless to help this guy. No wonder they wanted him as far away from them as possible. And no wonder they were afraid of Jesus, because if this man had authority over all of those demons, who was this guy? They didn't know who he was. They didn't know whose side he was on. But we do. And if Jesus has authority over a legion of demons, does he not have the power to help us? Does he not have the power to deliver us from our greatest challenges or to empower us and strengthen us to face the difficulties that we, that we face? So at their request, Jesus sends them into this herd of pigs They rush down into the lake, and they drown. Now, this might seem like quite a climax to this story, and if you're like me, you saw that and thought, that is quite a waste of bacon. (laughs) And surely this town felt the economic hit of what happened. But again, we see that Jesus values humanity above all else, that he values the life of this man when no one else does He values those that are living without hope, and he values all that are made in the image of God, and we should too. But there's one more part of this story that I find so fascinating, and I think it's important for us to see. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but said, go to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, I'll be honest, this part of the story always catches me a little off guard. I mean, here's this guy that that Jesus has just come and miraculously healed, and and all he wants to do is stay with Jesus. He just wants to follow Jesus. I mean, if, if your life had been completely changed, wouldn't you want to be with the one that had saved you? And so he asked Jesus, let me me go with you. Let me go with you. But Jesus rejects him. says, no, you need to stay. And part of me wonders, like, why does he do this? I mean, at this point in Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of people that are really uncertain about who he is. I mean, this guy is sold out now for Jesus. Why wouldn't you let him just follow him? But he says no. But knowing what Jesus had done for this man. He trusted what Jesus requested. And this is what I love about this story, is there are times when we may experience a breakthrough in our relationship with Jesus, but it is a very real possibility that a breakthrough with Jesus may lead us to more moments where we have to trust in him. There are times when we may experience a breakthrough in our relationship with Jesus, but it is a very real possibility 
that a breakthrough with Jesus may lead us to more moments where we need to trust in him. It might lead us to something that we didn't expect. It might lead us to sacrifice something that we weren't originally willing to sacrifice. It might lead us to something that feels overwhelming. But I love this story because we know that we can always tackle what is ahead because of what Jesus has already done. That this man can listen to whatever request Jesus has for him and can obey him because he knows what Jesus has already done for him. And chances are there were so many more that came to know who Jesus was because of the testimony of this man. Likewise, we can do what we are called to do. We can face insurmountable challenges. We can go to the places that are difficult because of what Jesus has already done. We can continue to experience many more breakthroughs because of what Jesus has already done. Now, at the beginning of this series, Andy talked about some of his own moments in his life where he experienced a breakthrough. And I can go back and think about my own life some of those very same times. I remember that day that I decided to be baptized. And I was seven years old, and I'm celebrating now about 28 years of that here in a couple weeks. I also remember a time that I decided to go into ministry. I was just 13, and I just felt that was a crazy decision to make for somebody so young. But I'd gone to this conference, and, and I remember being there in, in this worship time, and just for the very first time, I just felt so close to God. And, and I knew that's what I was supposed to do, and, and I just didn't want that moment to end. But I can tell you that that 13-year-old had no idea some of the challenges that he would face because of that decision that there would be people that I would have to sit across from who have problems that were way too big for me to speak to, that I felt incredibly ill-equipped to address. That there would be moments that I would be sitting in the living rooms with families that had just lost a loved one and and trying to comfort them in that moment. That there would be times that I'd have to stand up and talk to people about God and, and, and preach and teach. And as challenging and as difficult as sometimes these things are, I knew who I was in a relationship with. I knew who I had believed in. And I knew that he was able. I knew he was the same one that had the power to drive out thousands of demons. The same man that gave dignity to a prostitute. The same man that healed so many of leprosy and diseases. And the same one that raised people from death back to life. And we can continue to experience many more breakthroughs because of what Jesus has already done. And as dark as a place that this was that Jesus went to for this man, he did not stop there. He didn't just stop at this man. No, this week as we celebrate this last week of Jesus's life, We know that he went to an even darker place. The darkest day in human history. When Jesus took a path to the cross to bear our sins, to bear our greatest chains, to bear those things that bring us pain, to bear those things that grieve us, that divide us, that seek to torment us, that seek to destroy us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he who had no sin was made sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. 
And a little before then, we see that those in Christ are new creatures. The old is gone, and the new has come. So we can face whatever it is that lies ahead because of what Jesus has already done, because he already went to the darkest place for you and for me. And maybe you're here today, and you've made that decision to give your life to Jesus, and you trust in him, and maybe you just need to remember the one that you trust in and the authority that he has over everything. Or maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision. But I want you to know that Jesus went to the darkest place for you so that you could experience a breakthrough. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for what you did for us. I pray today that that the weight of, of your love for us would be felt that we would know how good you are, how you run after us whenever we feel hopeless. I pray that this week we would remember what it is that you did and that we would live in light of it and that we, you would know that we love you, that we would prove it in our actions. And we do love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.